People always want to know what it's like to be me. How does it feel to see a dead body? Tell a family their loved one has been murdered. Talk to a rape victim, catch a killer, and get them to confess. Hold on tight, my friends. Get ready for the journey, and welcome to Murder with Menina. Welcome to another episode of Murder with Menina. I am Menina. I'm here with my producer, Colleen. Colleen, how are you? I am so good and so looking forward to this episode. So we are going to talk about my life as a street officer, as a patrol officer, and how it kind of turned me into um, a better homicide detective and everything that I've learned. So the 26 years that I was a cop, the best education I ever received to be a better police officer, a better detective, a better person, was when I actually worked the street. When you are going from run to run, receiving radio calls across your radio, never really knowing what you're going to get, having to deal with not knowing what you're going to get. And all of those things that kind of intertwine really kind of made me a better detective because I was in front of so many situations. Um, There are such highs and lows. Uh, There's adrenaline rushes, there's adrenaline dumps, and everything in between. There's a lot of boredom and then straight, bam, you're in a life and death situation. There's life lessons that you pick up immediately. And then there's a lot of life lessons that you get kind of years later on. To say I haven't been scared to death, Colleen, would be a complete lie. (laughs) To say I haven't been shocked, I mean shocked, about how badly humans treat one another would also be a lie. Um, I've driven home after a vehicle pursuit chase where I caught the bad guy so excited and happy. And then I've also driven home with tears in my eyes after I saw my first dead body, which happened to be a young boy. Oh. Right? So let me just tell you about this. I had not been a street officer for very long. So I was a rookie and I was in the FTO program, which is the field training officer program. I was riding with a training officer. And this was New Year's Eve. And the run came out of a person Th- shot. This is the first dead body. First okay. dead body that I've seen. A run comes out of a person shot. So, of course, on those types of runs, you get to flip on the lights, you get to flip on the sirens, and you get there as quickly as you possibly can. When I arrived, there was a large gathering outside of the house, um, and people were kind of wishing me in. And when I got in there, there was a young boy that had been shot in the head. Mm -hmm. And he looked to be about 13 or 14, and he, you know, there wasn't really a lot of blood and guts. He just kind of looked like um, he was almost asleep. And the screams and the and the chaos that was kind of happening in the house, because what the deal was, it was New Year's Eve. There were people over there. There wasn't even an argument. But unfortunately, guys, and do not do this. New Year's Eve, people decide they're going to grab their guns. They're going to shoot them in the air. And they don't realize that one goes up, comes down. And that's exactly yeah. what happened that evening. Is that something that's kid. sort of common on New Year's Eve? It is common. We get hundreds and hundreds of reports of shots fired, people calling in to say shots are being fired by my house. And to be honest, police officers, at least in Indianapolis, we go hide because what goes up comes down. And there are so many bullets that are going. And then a few minutes after midnight, the dust settles. And then we literally go pick up the bodies, which is exactly what we did that evening. So I am a, a rookie, right? And this is a big run for me. And my field training officer is 
paying attention to me, making sure that I'm getting the information about the young boy, making sure that I'm interviewing um, what happened, right? I am making this police report. It's the first time that I was calling out for a homicide detective. So I got to get on the air and go, I request homicide to come to the scene, which is kind of like, wow, I knew right then that's eventually what I wanted to do. So I had to get on the radio and ask for homicide because we didn't know, yes, it was an accident, but homicide detectives come out for accidents whenever there's a death. I was going to ask you, like, do you have any idea what happened to the boy who shot his gun in the air? And that it wasn't a boy, it was an adult and it was a, it was an older cousin and he was absolutely distraught. So of course we kind of had him separated, um, with the other people because he, you know, he he didn't leave the scene. He said that he shot it up in the air. Uh, you know, he had the gun, he stayed there. So it was one of those deals where, wow, you know, you still had to call homicide out, right? Because they had right. to investigate to make sure it was an accident, and so that was kind of my first but taste. Would, it, would, it, would it some in that situation would somebody go to jail for murder, even though it was accidental? No, because for okay. murder you need to show motive intent. and intent. Okay, right? No, but there wasn't an intent. Was it reckless? Absolutely. So, what kind of charge are you looking at, at that point? Criminal recklessness with a handgun, okay. I think, was what he was he was arrested for. But the whole you know, the adrenaline to get, oh my God, I'm going to my first body. And then you see, it's like, you know, this boy that was just at this party and standing on the porch at the wrong time, you know, and the bullet came down and literally landed in his head. So that kind of whole, did he die instantly? He died instantly. He was dead on the scene. And another, you know, thing that kind of happens is the family's like, you know, why isn't the body left? Why isn't the body left? Well, the body's the last thing to leave, right? The body is the last thing to leave when you're doing a death investigation. So the whole dynamic of almost to say, you know, to be completely real excited that I'm going on what we considered a hot run. That's a hot run. Somebody's been shot. It's a hot run. It allows you to turn the lights and sirens on and get there. And then getting there and seeing that the family, that there was no malice. You know, it was Mm. just a freaking mistake and a horrible mistake. It was kind of like, God dang, this did not need to happen. You know, so I kind of got my first taste of what that was like. And the first taste of what it looks like when homicide detectives come out, planting a seed in my head for what I, you know, wanted to do in the future. But again, I have to interview these people that are so distraught, right? I've got to do the initial interview. And of course, it's all about how... Do I possibly approach this boy's mother? You know, and of course, there's also questions like, wow, why, why did people bring guns to the party? Right. Right. Like you do that, but I can't sit there and say, why did you have guns? Like she's grieving the the death of her son. So it's kind of like a mix of emotions where I got to do my job. And I really needed to do my job because my training officer was there. And what he was doing is he was grading me my first top run. How did I handle it? And so the pressures of that, I was able to keep my composure pretty well and kind of do what I needed to do. And then when Hamsa got there, they took over that whole investigation. So, you know, you never know what you're going to get. The story behind the story of that, right? I'm going on New Year's Eve thinking, oh, my God, I got a homicide. And you get there and it's like, wow, there was no malice. There was no, wow, this was just a messed up accident. And how quickly, quickly things can turn badly. They were all excited. They were ringing in the new year. And now we are literally ringing in the first homicide for the city of Indianapolis in that new year. (music) 
you know, you go, you go forward to a, you know, a few more years of all of these experiences and talking to people. And, you know, I just, it's just, it's an amazing kind of ride. There isn't a better, better teacher of a homicide detective than to be a police officer on the street. All right. So then you can fast forward to another incident where this call comes out as a check the welfare of some children. We get them all the time. Check the welfare of children. They're running in the street. They're riding a bicycle without a helmet, whatever. We go on these runs all the time. Get to this particular house, walk in, and there are three mattresses on the floor. There's no furniture. It's kind of disgusting. It's hotter than shit out. And there are literally two babies on each mattress. So now we have a a half a dozen babies, right? There's nobody around. There's not an adult in the house. It's all, they're all on the living room floor. They were babies. They weren't even, I mean, six, seven, eight, nine, ten months, like probably maybe up until, I don't know, two, three, four, like babies all the way up, just go on up, right? And so... The bad thing about it was, as I, you know, we're checking on them, right? Because I'm doing a check of the welfare. We get it a lot. I'm checking to make sure they're okay. They're breathing. They were all breathing. But what was so unbelievably sickening to me was that they were all asleep and there were roaches crawling around them and on them. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, I became instantly pissed. Like, where the fuck is mom, right? Where is the adult, right? I'm talking to the neighbor and she said that a male had been there and then he had left. And she's like, I, I walked by, the door was open. I'm seeing all of these babies. And I am dealing with the emotion of being extremely angry. Like, how the hell? Not only were the conditions horrible, like the conditions were horrible, but how the hell do you leave them? Right? right. Like, how do you leave like them? Like, what kind of mother? Like, what could kind this of mother? Be? Who am I dealing with? And so I got, we were able to contact mom. And where we contacted her was at a strip club about three miles from where the house was and livid, right? I'm livid. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to lock her up. I'm going to, you know, make sure these babies are okay. I'm waiting for her to get there. I'm at the scene. There's other officers there. Like we're trying to figure out, we need six car seats to get these babies. Like that's not easy, right? Like (laughs) we got to call victims assistance and go, you know, they always ask how many car seats do you need? And usually it's like one or two. I'm like six. So mom gets there and she gets there kind of, she's running. Uh, I don't even think she got, I don't think she drove. All I remember her is her running up the street and I'm thinking to myself, I'm seeing her running toward me and I'm thinking to myself, I hope this isn't mom because I just want to smack her, right? So she gets there and I'm like, what, what the hell? And she's kind of out of breath and she's like, my boyfriend, he was here. I left him. He was supposed to babysit. I'm at work. Where do you work? She tells me the strip club and she's crying and she's upset. And she's like, I love my babies. I love my babies. I'm like, no, you don't love your babies. They are on on the floor, on a mattress with roaches crawling all over was them. Was there like any food in there the house? There was any like food. I hadn't really done a complete check of the food, but it didn't appear. I mean, it was a gross, disgusting house. Been in these houses a million times. They're gross and disgusting. Once you go into a house with roaches, it's just like you can't even, you can't even fathom that, right? So she's getting upset. She hears me on the radio start to call for Department of Children's Services and all of the things that I need to do as my job. And she starts talking to me and she's crying. And then at one point, I just kind of looked at her and I just kind of saw the pain in her eyes, right? And I thought, she kind of, she does love her children. Like, I could feel it. Like, the the sense in her begging me 
not to take her children away. Don't take my babies away. Don't take my babies away. I'm like, I have to take your babies away. There's roaches crawling on. When have they last eaten? And she showed me, she did show me kind of some formula and some food. But, you know, by that time, it's like, you can't leave these babies. And she's upset with her boyfriend for leaving. But I just, it kind of flipped, right? The anger that I had kind of flipped. And then all of a sudden, I kind of felt bad for her because I'm thinking to myself, nobody would want to live like this. And she didn't know better. And she didn't know better. And you tell me all the time, you always say to me, that once you learn the backstory. So the, the the huge lesson of my whole life and where I am at this point in my life has always been there is a story behind the story, you know, and I just decided 99% of the time that I need to learn the story behind the story. So when I started to learn her story, I mean, she doesn't know what she doesn't know. You know, she was working. She's trying to provide for these babies. Um, she just, she just couldn't do it. Right. I mean, she went to work. She thought she left her, um, these kids with her boyfriend. The boyfriend decided he didn't want any part of it. She doesn't know what she doesn't know. And I really felt kind of in my sad, but that even birth control doesn't factor in there. It seems so common sense to, you know, an educated person. Right. Right. And, and, and she loved her kids. So I had to take the kids away. I had to do my job. Um, she's begging me not to, you know, we got them all secure and left and, and then ended up, um, you know, it, of no choice to lock her up initially for neglect. Um, but the main thing was, and it's horrible. You had to get the kids in the system, right? Is there right. a better option for these kids? Let's hope so. Right. So the whole kind of, you get to the run, you see it and you're like, Oh, the energy and the anger. And then it kind of subsides a little bit as you start to see this mother. Cause I could tell by the time I left that run, I could tell and I knew in every um, bone in my body that she actually did love those kids, right? She was doing the best she, she could. Doing the best she could. With what she, with what she had. had. So, you know. And, you've, and, you've even talked about how this, um, talk, tell the listeners, like you even talked about how of all the murders, like once you know a murderer is back. Talk about that. I tell you, I have investigated a lot of murders. I've assisted on a lot of murders. And probably realistically, you know, I, I don't want to say specifically, but probably only two to three people that I've locked up for murder, I was like, oh, that motherfucker is a mean, evil person and needs to go away forever. Everyone else that I interviewed and that I arrested and that I learned the whole story, right? Because I start every interview with a murder suspect with this. I doubt you woke up today thinking you were going to kill anybody. How did we get here? And once they tell you how they got here, sometimes you're like, wow, there would be no other direction than right here. You know? And so when you learn all of these things, it just, it just. And you talk about it a lot, how so many of the perpetrators were victims. So many of the perpetrators were victims. I mean, I don't know that I had any perpetrator that wasn't a victim of some kind. You know, you don't, you know, you know, and, and there's extreme all these scientists. Too. We're talking extreme. Yeah, yeah. Like in there, you know, people say you're born a killer, blah, blah, blah. There's so much that plays into it. Your environment, what you see, what you're around, what you believe, what you witnessed, all of that stuff mm-hmm. plays a role. But when you really take a step back and kind of learn the story behind the story, and I do it now, I do it like 
I do it all the time. I, it doesn't have to be, I'm not the police anymore, right? What's the story behind the story when maybe I meet somebody for the first time and I'm like, eh, I don't like them, you know? And then all of a sudden, you know, you know, you get vibes from people, but then if you, t- if you decide to say, you know what, maybe I'll give this person a shot or whatever. And you kind of learn about him. You're like, oh my God, I love him. You know? Well, I had that experience with you when we you went to interview, <laughs> right? When we went to interview two people and their situations on the, you know, on from the outset, I would have been very judgmental. One of them had all of her kid, five kids taken away by CPS, her grandson also put and uh, adopted out. And I mean, you know, meth addict clearly in the whole thing. And when we got to know her, by the time we left, I fell in love with her. Right. And I think that's what's gotten me through. Like at the end of the day, I've done 26 years of this and I can still say, I believe in my heart and I truly believe this, that most people are good. But mm-hmm. I don't know that I could have said that at this point, 49 years old, to say that most people are good if I hadn't learned the story behind the story, right? right. If you take and it you face always value, say that they can't, they couldn't have ended, once you understand their background, you, they couldn't have ended up anywhere else, but exactly it, it, it had to at. go where they... And what I also learned too, and I think, you know, if, if you really kind of open up your mind, um, that people are extraordinary. When you see the circumstances they come from... And, and where they're at now, you almost end up kind of admiring them. Like, wow, you came like from Like they're this. intelligent and unconventional ways. Yes. I've heard you say that many times yes. too. Because so, they'd have to be to survive their circumstances. Right. And, and they've taught me things, right? Like, I do believe that if you, if you open up yourself to learn the story behind the story with people and you just kind of keep an open mind that really at the end of the day, they can teach you a lot. And that's the best gift that the street stories have given me is that they taught me how to treat people. They taught, they, they put me in so many different situations that allowed me to learn how to treat people. How do you treat people when they're intoxicated? Well, you don't go at them, you know, too harsh. How do you treat a woman that was just raped? How do you treat um, someone that just lost their baby? How do you treat a mother when you go tell them that both her sons have been killed? How do you do that? Well, you do it. I, I did it by going in every single one of those situations. And, and was I perfect every time? I wasn't. But if you can kind of just say, this day's going to suck. Like, I know I'm going to this house and I'm going to rock this mother's world for the rest of her life. I know that the information that's going to come out of my mouth is going to rock her. And if you take that seriously, you do it better, right? Mm-hmm. You, take, you take a breath and you go, okay, there's no way to avoid this. But how can I do it in the most compassionate, empathetic way that I can muster? And so, you know, that kind of leads me into kind of the the last story where now we're fast forwarding. I'm out of homicide. I'm out of doing all these investigations. I'm kind of winding down my career and I decide to go back to the street. So here I'm working the street as a baby. I go into all of these investigations, investigate murders and rapists and all this shit, go back to the street, right? And I'm working day shift, which is a little slower, (laughs) a little slower, (laughs) a little slower pace. I'm getting old. But Christmas morning, right? I'm working Christmas morning and I get a call of a disturbance at a house and I walk in and first thing I see is there's not much, there's no gifts, there's no gifts on the floor. There's barely a tree. I'm, I'm literally, I, I think I truly remember it being like a stick with like a few homemade ornaments. And I see this like 13 year old kid who's scared to death. 
He's literally standing in the corner and he's scared to death. And I walk in and I'm like, Hey buddy, what's up? And he just kind of points to the kitchen and I, and I walk into the kitchen and his mom is on her hands and knees with rags cleaning up, um, Christmas dinner, right? There's mashed potatoes on the floor and on the walls. There's turkey juice. uh, There's greens. There's a, a Christmas dinner and it is everywhere in the kitchen. And all I remember her is looking up at me and she's crying. And I was like, what, you know, like what happened? And she tells me that, you know, her, her older son um, woke up and got really, really upset that there wasn't anything for him to open for Christmas morning. Right. So I'm looking at her thinking, wow. And then I'm like, well, I kind of get like, that would be upsetting. I've never had to wake up a Christmas morning and not open something. And the look on her face uh, was just so devastating. I, it was really literally, she's on her hands and knees and she looks up at me and she just says, I thought, you know, I was doing the right thing. I thought the money that I had, you know, the little money that I had would be better served for a Christmas meal as opposed to gifts. Oh, and I just God, about so just died, right? Like <laughs> you just like died right now. there. And I'm looking at this 13 year old kid and he's scared because it had been a traumatic, I mean, the food was everywhere. Like you could tell pans were thrown. And I said, well, you know, how how can I help? And she said, just find my baby, you know, and bring him back home. And I said, okay, I got the description. Well, of course I'm calling all of my buddies. because we're not overly busy. It's still early Christmas. So people aren't drunk and drinking and hating each other yet. And I got all my buddies that work the street. And I was like, Hey guys, here's a description of this kid. Any donations you can give me, we've got to do something. So we find the kid. He's not very far away. It's cold. I mean, it's not very far away. He didn't have a jacket or anything. I crowd him into my car and I said, look, you know, um, I understand that you got upset this morning and that you, you know, pretty much threw Christmas dinner. And I tried to, I tried to give him the lesson that, you know, mom thought she was doing the right thing. This is what she could provide. You know, she loves you. I know she loves you. He calms down a little bit. By this time, I'm getting donations from my buddies on the street, right? Um, and we all decide, okay, well, what's open, right? Like, we're like, what's open? Christmas morning. Get to the gas station where we had been earlier in the day getting our coffee and all that shit. And we've got all this money. I've got $50, $60 to buy shit at this gas station. <laughs> and I look at this kid and I'm like, go crazy. Because we got to figure out Christmas dinner for these people from Aww. a gas station. Aww. Now, Rut, you got... A can of raviolis, a box of Velveeta, candy, chips, soda. Like I'm grabbing, we're grabbing candy to be able to give to his younger brother. And we get it all and we bring him back. And it was just, you know, great for us to be able to do it. But then to walk in and say, you know, Merry Christmas. Because, I mean, $60 at the gas station will get you a few things, right? <laughs> and we were able to get some food. And, you know, and, and, and the cool thing about it is the officer stayed. We stayed, right? Like. We ate a little bit of candy with them. We hung out with them. She'd gotten the kitchen cleaned up and we just kind of just stayed, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a big production, but we just kind of hung out, you know, and, and that exactly is another lesson that, you know, people are doing the best they can, right? They are absolutely doing the best they can. And I didn't lock that kid up, you know, for destruction of property or anything. It was just, wow, I would be upset too. If right. I woke up Christmas morning without any presents. But then you really think about like the long-term effects of that 
And, you know, this is a kid who maybe grew up in a neighborhood where a lot of people are taught to fear or hate cops. Right. But he probably never did. Well, <laughs> you hope not, right? Because I think the first impression, and, and I say this a lot, you know, not only to the kids that I'm teaching, but when you show up, and this could be in any job, if you show up as a CEO or you show up as a police officer, it's intimidating. I'm walking out of a police car. I'm in a uniform. I have a gun on my side. I have a badge. The first thing out of my mouth is really, really important. How am I going to handle this situation, this first interaction or second or 10th? Who knows with this kid? How many times he's come in contact with a police officer, right? Like what kind of history does he have? I don't even know. I didn't run his criminal history. I didn't even check to see if he had any warrants. I didn't want to know because if he had a warrant, I may have had to have taken him to jail. And I didn't want to do that. Right. Right. And so that's another, you know, incident of many, many incidents in my career that changed my perspective. But I'll tell you, those little bitty lessons, you know, got me to where I was now. So. And, and also you always say this, that the, that working the street is what made you such a good homicide detective because you really learned relationship skills. Relationship at the end of the day, I'll say it a million times. Oh my God. You must be so smart. You solved all your cases, but one. Mm, no, nah. <laughs> I'm not that smart. But I did learn that the way that you talk to people, the way that you develop relationships with people will um, do you well in life. But in my world, it will solve cases. And that's exactly what it did. It will help you catch the killer. It will help you catch a killer. So I hope you enjoyed uh, these three stories of a gazillion and I hope you got something out of it. And we appreciate you all listening. We will uh, hear from you next time on Murder with Menina. If you have a cold case you'd like Chris to review, submit it through our website at murderwithmenina.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Murder with Menina and Twitter at Murder W Menina. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Murder with Menina.